Every time, of year, every time it comes to this time of year, it reminds us of some things about Christmas season. And um, some of those things, some of the things of Christmas are, are more than a bit confusing. For the life of me, I can't get why this happens. But it happens every year. Why we insist on giving each other fruitcake in round tins. It's endured at best and despised by most but we do it. And, and why it's okay to commit the fashion uh, faux pas of mixing red and green in what we wear and thinking, I'm looking pretty good right now. No, we don't. <laughs> why, why we drag severed dying trees into the middle of our houses and then prop them up in the middle of our living space. It really, if you, you come from Mars, you would go, what is with you people? And then we hang poisonous berry vines above our heads and use it as an excuse to kiss people, something you could be arrested for most of the rest of the year. I don't get it. We wear these dopey hats and ugly sweaters and we think it's okay. And then the songs. I mean, who the heck is this King Wenceslas guy who shows up? Why, what makes him so good? And why is he looking down on a feast we've never heard of? What? And then we, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. Three ships. Where in the story are there three ships? Who are those ships of three? Well, the Virgin Mary and Christ were there. What story are you reading? It sailed into Bethlehem. It's 20 miles to the nearest body of water to Bethlehem. I don't, what, where did this come from? And, and, and what's with the fetish with the birds on the 12 days of Christmas? Like, like six out of the first seven are, are just these, like over and over, they're, they're birds and you, got, and you got swans, which no, they're not very nice, and geese, which are horrible, you know? Then you got these calling birds, no one knows what those are, and then French hens and turtle doves, and then there's a partridge just throw in. I don't want, I don't want the birds. And what exactly is figgy pudding anyway and why are people refusing to leave until they get some? You can't find it. Where, what, what is going on? Some things about Christmas are more than a bit confusing. Other things, even about the story in Scripture, are kind of a bit uncertain. Like exactly who the Asian astronomer rulers were and whether there were three of them or not. And what kind of celestial light that really was over the town? Was it an actual star? Was it a, a special temporary star God put there? Was it, was it the Shekinah glory of God that had the appearance of a star? Whether Joseph had any help in the delivery? No one seems to know. How many angels there were in the announcement? Was, was it, and did they sing or did they shout or did they speak? And how much crying the baby actually made. And then how long it was until, you know, someone in the inn gave up their room for these poor people with a baby. I, there's all kinds of things that are, that are unsure about Christmas. But, but there are a handful of things that are absolutely crystal clear about the advent, about the coming of God in the person of a human being. Some things are absolutely sure that the incarnation, which means to put on flesh, when that happened, all the fullness of the Godhead was manifested and placed in a human form. 
been made, it's been made very, very clear. It, it's very clear that in that moment, the, the rescue plan of God for human beings, for you, for me, was given. Was, it was launched in its real purest form. And this is absolutely clear about the advent, that it is the epitome and the quintessential example of this word that is the word for this candle, the, of love. Now, before we all break into song and do a big group hug about love at Christmas, let's pause for a minute. And let's take a look and, and actually think about what that really means. All right? So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the passage that the Petersons read for us. It's in 1 John, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4. And, and you heard the word love said there a lot. It's used many, many times in that passage. But let's just stop for a minute because that word gets, does get used a lot this time of year. You know, and I, had, I have these, I get the heebie-jeebies still about the, the pressure that came when I would open up a present that my parents were giving for me and I'd open it up and it might be something that was like, you know, just, it could have been fruitcake, but from my mother and she would wait, and she would look in anticipation, and she would always ask this question, do you love it? Do you love it? I mean, that is a lot of pressure. And, and you go, okay, I'm supposed to conjure up this thing because Christmas, we understand, is all about this. It's all about love. So, yeah, I love that I would just lie through my teeth. I, yeah, I love it. Did you, did you keep the receipt? You know. Love is in the air, you know, just Christmas is all about love. Let's talk about what this means because, okay, and I will go, we'll look at this in some other passages too. But it says that love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's an odd statement, but we'll, we'll get there. And then it says, verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Because there is a word that gets used for love there. And if you've been around church or the Bible much, you probably, or even in culture, you might have heard the word that gets used there. And there's a, a key word that's used in the New Testament for love, and there's also a key word that's used in the Old Testament. That word gets used around the advent, and, and it gets used in this passage. Three Greek primary terms for, for love in the New Testament is, is eros, which is more sexual, philos, which is more brotherly, and then this one. And the word is agape. You've heard that probably for agape love. That word is also the word that gets used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for another word that was very important and very rich, and both these words are, and that Old Testament word you might not be as familiar with is the word hesed. God uses that word, and hesed means love, but it is a, it is a covenantal love, and that's the word that gets used here. Now here's the thing about the word love that gets used in both those places. That particular word, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, has been known to be, understood to be exclusively the capacity and domain of God. Human beings cannot do this thing. Human beings, it was understood, are not capable of producing chesed. We'll see why in a minute. Or agape. It was, that word was exclusively reserved for God. God loves in a way nobody else loves. And what we're going to see today is that when Jesus came and when it says to love one another, that, was a, that blew people's minds because he used the word agape and said, okay, now you, you can agape. And husbands are called to agape their wives. And, and, and followers of Jesus are, are, are told to agape 
They're brothers. They're also told to agape. They're enemies. Now, think about that for a moment, and, and we'll go back, and you'll see that that word gets used because it, it, it was so different because of what that definition meant. Now, the, the Bible does not come out with a clear, full definition. So I want to give you a kind of a working definition for what hesed meant in the Old Testament, what agape meant in the New Testament. There's a lot of overlap with them. And I'm going to show you that if you take all of the scripture and you put it together and say, what is it, how could you summarize what it means? And we're going to, then we're going to talk about Christmas. It's going to be very, very different than saying, oh, I just love this time of year. Oh, I love eggnog. Oh, I love what you got me for Christmas. Now, well, you don't agape it. You don't chesed it. Because here is a working definition that I encourage you to just think about, maybe even write it down. In just a handful of phrases, this is what God meant when he uses that word love. It could be summarized this way. It is a lifelong covenant to give sacrificially what is best for another demanding nothing in return. By the way, when I do premarital counseling, we camp on this and we say, okay, you're not capable of doing this, but this is what you're called to do. This is what you're signing up for. Do you love each other? Oh, yes, we love each other. Okay, this is what God means. Let's talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Because you're going to see something about that definition and I want to just unpack it for, with you for a few minutes, phrase by phrase. But look at 1 John chapter 4, and if you keep that definition in, in mind, this is, let's look at it again and see if that just doesn't shape it a little differently. It says, this is verse 9. This is how God showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape. Not that we agape God but that he agaped us and sent his son as a set atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then he says, dear friends, because of God agaped us, we're capable and we should agape one another. So Jesus, for the first time in human history, for most of the people who heard it, told people, I'm calling on you to have agape. but I'm going to argue to, to you that you have probably seldom seen this lived out in your life. And frankly, I almost, I'm not capable of living that out if that's the definition. So how does that work? Let's just take it phrase by phrase and think about it for a minute. The first phrase you see there is that it is a lifelong covenant. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. In a contract, two parties come together, they each agree to different things, and one or the other can break the contract, and it creates, it makes it null and void. Some of you have been in contracts that have been broken. Some of you have seen lawsuits over contracts that are broken. There's a difference. A covenant is not conditioned on the other person keeping their part. A covenant is a one-sided commitment that somebody makes. And, the, and when agape and hesed is used of God, it's that, that God chooses to make a covenant. It is a lifelong, not contract. It's a, it is not an emotion. You remember in, in, the, in the classic now, I guess you'd call it classic movie, Elf, that talks about Christmas. Santa says that his sleigh runs on Christmas spirit. And the degree of Christmas spirit, if you watch the, the meter, the meter rises and falls, meter rises and falls, and when it gets to a certain place, then the Christmas spirit's enough and it makes the sleigh fly. That is kind of how most of us tend to think love is. We think of it as an emotional state, don't we? I mean, come on. 
it's something I feel. I love ice cream. I love it. Well, I feel something really intensely about ice cream. Or I love my child. I feel something very, very strongly. It's a heightened sensation of affection or attraction. It's a sense of personal warmth. It's a desire to be with someone. It can be passionate. And it's like a meter. It rises and rises and we go, you know what? I get to a certain place and I think, I think I love you. I've reached the place. I've never felt this before. And so we talk about falling in love and falling out of love. When God says he loves, it is not a meter. It doesn't rise or fall. It's a button that gets pushed. It doesn't have an off switch. It's a launch that gets enabled. It's a decision. It's an act of the will. And I'm going to argue to you for a minute here in just a little bit that it doesn't make any sense at all to love somebody. Why would you do that? Why would you make a choice to make a covenant to somebody without any attachments to it? But when God described his love, he made a covenant. Now, look, look, there's a passage in the Old Testament. This is Deuteronomy 7. And God is talking to the children of Israel, and he's saying, why did, I, why did God choose you to be his people? Like, like he invited you to be his family. You're going to be his instrument. And he says to them, he didn't set his affection on you and choose you because of all the things that have a factor for him. Things like you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all peoples. Here's why God loved you. Here's why he set his affection on you. It was because... The Lord loved you. He loved you because he loved you. What? Yeah, that's it. The reason he loved you is because he decided to love you. And he kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. There was a decision that got made. It wasn't triggered by something. It wasn't prompted by anything. You look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, here's how God demonstrates agape. This is how he did it to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died something. See the the definition? We're going to get to there. There was a sacrifice made. He made a decision to do something. If you got 1 John 4 open, look again at verse 9. This is how God demonstrated, showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son. He commissioned him. He made a declaration and and a statement. So so love is a covenant. It It is a decision that gets made. Now, if that's true, then the phrase then the phrase unconditional love is redundant, right? Because if it's a covenant, it means it does not have condition. It just means love. And at Christmas time, at the Advent, God exemplified this. Because it says at just the right time, when we were still sinners, God made a decision. I'm going in. I'm coming there myself. I'm going to come, I'm going to wrap myself in flesh. I'm going to take a form of a servant and be among you. I'm going to come and t- I'm, I'm going to settle this thing for you. Why? Because I love you. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. And God made it. I'll say a lot more about that, but let's go on. Here's, let's look at the next phrase. It's a lifelong covenant to give sacrificially. 
Again, it's not an emotional state. And it always, get this, love, agape, chesed, always involves action. And the action is always giving action. It, it's something that's constantly giving. It's consistently, perpetually giving. There's always action involved. In John 3:16, which most of you could probably quote, it says, God so agaped, this is what he, this is how it, that the world that he what? He gave. That's what love does. Love just gives. He gave his only son. Now that's John 3.16. Look at 1 John 3.16, which is probably on the next page from you, but look at it here. It says, this is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life. He gave. Oh, you will get a sentimental feeling when you hear voices calling, let's be jolly, deck the halls with boughs of holly, right? We get a sentimental feeling at Christmas time. Yeah, we get a sentimental feeling. Yeah, we, we say, we call that love. That's not, the feeling is not love. The action is love. And the action is always an, an act that gives, and it is always an act that gives something that costs you. It costs the giver. There's a difference. And we have a lot of sentiment at Christmas. There's a, lot of, there's a difference between sentiment and substance. And agape, the hesed of God, is an act of sacrificing himself. Because, get this, love that costs you nothing is not love at all. You ever been in one of those place, times where there's a gift exchange and you don't know if you missed the memo or something happened, but somebody gives you, get the gift and you open it up and it is like a PlayStation 4. You know, it's like a, you go, oh no, and you were supposed to get something and you know what's in the thing you got. And, you're, and they're going, oh, wow. And then you, and they're waiting for them to open the Chia Pet in the shape of Scooby-Doo's head or something. That is, and you, all the blood drains from your face. And if you're like me, I've, I've confessed, I've done this before, you just make something up. And you say, you know, I'm waiting for what I really got you, but in the meantime, here is just a thing. Because we want to cover our tracks. Don't do that. That's not honest. But that's how you feel, right? Because you feel like, oh, there needs to be this reciprocal thing. That didn't really cost me anything. I just pulled something off. You know, it, I, went in the bait, I went in the storage place and found something I, I re-gifted. But love that costs you nothing is not really love. Love, agape, what God says love is about always involves sacrifice. It costs you something. And when God enacted this, his act of love cost him big. It cost him everything. Jesus said in John 15, greater agape has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He said, hey guys, you're my friends. There's sacrifice coming. This is love. It's a sacrifice. And then there's the third phrase. It's a lifelong covenant to give sacrificially, but you give what is best for another. Now, there's a difference sometimes between what we want and what's best for us. You know, you, I've always been a fan of Snoopy, so we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas every Christmas. 
I've watched it every Christmas since 1965, I think, when it came out. Okay, I'm just, I can quote the entire thing to you. I really can. (laughs) And Lucy Van Pelt is counseling Charlie Brown for a nickel, and he's depressed about Christmas. And she finally says, I know what you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. And Charlie Brown says, what is it you want? And she says, you know what it is she says, right? Real estate. <laughs> See, but what we want isn't always what we need most. See, Israel was told the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, get ready. The prophets foretold it. And there was going to, you know, there was going to be hope for these coming. And it's going to be, he's going to deliver something. And what, the, what they wanted, I mean, what they, when they opened the present, what they wanted was a warrior king. What they wanted was a liberator. Oh, man, they could not wait for Rome to get their comeuppance. They could not wait for Israel to be elevated to its rightful place. They were, could not wait for their enemies to be, to be wiped out. They wanted a justice enactor. They wanted a comforter and a provider. They wanted somebody who was going to just elevate them and give them everything they wanted. And love came, and God put, poured his agape out, and he gave them exactly what they needed, what was best for them. Because, see, when the angels came and they said to the shepherds, go check it out, God has come, this is how they said it. Today, in the town of David, has been born to you a warrior king. No. Has been born to you a political reformer. has been born to you someone who will come and take, elevate the nation to its rightful place. No, today, they said, today is born for you a savior. This is what's best for you. Because God in his love knew what, what you and I need more than anything else more than externals, more than our, sen- our sense of well-being in our emotional state, what I need somebody to do is to extract the poison from my soul. I need somebody to take that from me and restore me to my maker. I need an eternity that's rescued from the powers of hell. I need somebody who's gonna give me a hope and a life. Oh, that's not what I'm asking for, but that's what I need. That's what's best for me. And love decides and chooses to give to provide what's best for someone. Christmas time, God gave us what was best for us. First John, First John 4, look at verse 10. This is agape, not that we agape God, but he agape us, and he sent his son, why? My translation says, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can I just say, this may be your first time in church in a long time. Maybe you're here with a guest, somebody. We're not asking to be re- re- you to be religious. We're not saying, and we're certainly not asking you to act like like you know everything that's going on around here, but we do want you to understand this. Christmas is not just about having good feelings. Christmas is about something that God gave you because you need it and it's best for you. And it's given freely. He sacrificed for it. And then we get to this last phrase. That it's a lifelong covenant to give sacrificially what's best for another 
demanding nothing in return. We had a story that was told us, and I thought all the kids heard when I was growing up, and I don't know, maybe you've heard this, maybe, it was my, maybe my parents made it up, I don't know. But they told us, okay, look, you better not, you, you, know, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, telling you why. I got that, Santa Claus is coming. Okay, if you were here last week, I told you we had to be asleep when he came, and then we got the payoff. And all the gifts would come, and that was a good arrangement, let's go with that. <laughs> but then they said this, and they were reminded us this every year. Okay, remember this, they said, that the, that's, that's the night before Christmas. The night after Christmas, something else happens. Mrs. Claus goes around the world, and she goes to all the places where Mr. Claus had delivered the presents, and she looks for anybody who's not grateful for what they got. And if she sees that they're not grateful, she will take their stuff back. We were terrified of Mrs. Claus. I mean, you talk about the ultimate good cop, bad cop. He's laughing. Oh, he's giving this and he's drumming it. And she's coming back. Oh, you nasty people. But she, she takes it back. We, so we had to be grateful. Now, now, from your reaction, I'm getting, you never heard that, and I get, need to be in therapy for how I was raised. Okay. <laughs> but it was conditioned in me that said, okay, you know what? You might get stuff, but man, oh, man, you better watch out again because Mrs. Claus is coming to town. Here is ag- here's what agape does. Here's what chesed does. It, it gives and it sacrifices and it gives no expectation of return. Oh, my, it might request it. It might lead toward it. It might ask it. God asks us to choose to follow him, to choose to live for him. I mean, what, why not? It's the greatest gift I've ever been given. Why would I not want to express that? But he does not ever demand it as a condition for giving it. He doesn't put requirements on it. See, love, we, we, we say this in marriage stuff like, oh, you know, marriage, love, it's give and take. It's give and take. It's a 50-50 proposition. It's a two-way street. None of that's true. Not from God's perspective. Can I just say this as completely aside? If you're married, here's what you signed up for. You married, you, you, married, you signed up for a one-way street. You, 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 you signed up to give and give and give and not demand anything in return. You didn't sign up for a 50-50 proposition. You signed up for a 100% proposition. That's what love, when God called you to love a spouse, that's what he asked you to do. You, you, you were not called to give and take. You were called to give. Now, God's gonna call on them to do something else, but that's not your business. You're just called to do your part. And I have a question for you. If that's what that means, why does anybody get married? Honestly. Why would I choose to, to enter into that kind of arrangement? Because it has no teeth to it. There's no ramifications. Oh, yes, there, there are consequences to actions. I get it. But what I signed up for, if, if agape love is what I'm supposed to do, it's 100% one way. It is all give and no take as far as I'm concerned. It is a one-way street. And that is what God did for you. Look at verse 10 again. This is agape, not that we agaped God, but that he agaped us. Love is completely irrational. 
It is a terrible investment if you're looking for return on investment. It, it doesn't make sense for anybody to love. It has no recourse. And at Christmas time, at Advent, God came to give sacrificially with absolutely no strings attached, with no demands, with, with no reciprocity that's, that's put on you. That is too good to be true. This is love. Now, if that is what love is, and if that's what God did for us, here's something we need to understand. You, I'm not capable of that. And frankly, neither are you. We are fallen human beings. I'm a selfish person at heart. I, I can, oh, I can try for a while, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to fail. And that's why those words were reserved for God. People understood that. Humans who are sinful and unrighteous and selfish are not capable of generating that. And here's what God says. Yeah, now watch what I do. When I come, I'm coming to give you love. And you, see, you can't produce love, but you can conduit it. And if you become, if there's an open channel of love coming from another source that can produce it, it can flow through you into another. And that's what takes us back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us agape one another because agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes, this is, has to be true. They have to have the channel open. They, they have been born of God and they know God. If that's what we're talking about, that's the only way that we get it. And it's the only way it comes through us. Anyone who does not agape doesn't know God because God is agape. It can only be conduited. Verse 16 says it again. And so we know and we rely on the agape God has for us. God is agape. Whoever lives in agape lives in God and God in him. Do you see what he's saying there? You have a right, a corrected relationship with the God of the universe, the one who is agape, and then you can become the channel of that. See, you and I are capable of loving our spouses and our children and each other and our enemies. But the only way it happens is if it's flowing from a source that has been produced outside myself and it flows through me. This is why I don't just pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come in my life and then go on to live in my life. I have to be connected with him. I have to abide in the vine, he said. I have to, because that vine keeps the flow open of his agape that flows into me and then flows through, through me toward you, toward my wife, toward those around me. But understand this. This is why this is why the advent of Christmas is so profound because it epitomizes, it actually brings to fruition the act that God has always been true of him, his loving kindness, the Old Testament translation of hesed, covenant loyalty has always been there and it was moving towards something and then he said, and now here it comes. Right here, right now is when I make it happen. When I live out that definition in you. From the moment he was born. From the moment he was born, Jesus took the form of a, a child, right? He was real. I mean, he cooed and cried, and he pooped his pants. He looked at his mother. He was a real human being. He took on flesh. And people could come and say, oh, what a beautiful gift. Oh, come, let us adore him. 
you're, Mary, you're holding God in your hands. That's amazing. But understand what God was doing. From the very moment he came, he was saying, this is part of my definition of love. This is me putting it into practice. From the moment he was born, there was something that was absolutely true for him. And that was that these little hands, the hands that were just barely knowing, knowing how to grasp anything, these hands were destined to do one thing above all others. These hands were destined to be pierced, to have nails driven into them on a cross. These feet were destined to have spikes driven into them. This flesh was destined to be cut open. This little head, from the moment he came, was the purpose of it was God to say, I came to give sacrificially to you what's best for you. And that means I'm going to allow the punishment of the world, your sin, your retribution, to have, to have a crown of thorns driven into this little skull. This body, what you're going to celebrate in just a minute, this body is here for love. It's going to be broken. It's, that's its purpose. The blood that's flowing through this little body was going to be spilled out. An innocent put in the place of a guilty, and not just one guilty person, the cumulative weight of the entire universe of human beings whoever would, had lived and ever would live, would be placed here. See, this was love. Jesus is love. God is love. And when he took that on himself, he took it for one reason and one reason only. Because he loves you. If you want to accept the love of Christmas. You want to get in the Christmas spirit. You want love to be true in your life this Christmas. You find it here. You find it in the gift of love. The Son of God who came as a child. That is what love is. And that is where love begins. Pray with me. I stand in awe this morning in front of my friends that unmotivated by anything I've done before I was even taking a breath that you made a decision for me and for us. You made a covenant unprovoked. I don't understand that, God. I've never, I don't know that I've ever really done that myself or seen it modeled very well. But you've done that. You made a covenant with us and then you, and then to, to do something, to give yourself sacrificially, to give up your life, the life of your only begotten son in my place so that I could know you. And you did that because it was best for me. Even if it's, when it's not what I've wanted or asked for, you did it because it was best for me. And you give it to me without cost, without demand. Oh God, this Christmas pray in particular for the person who may have gone years and years celebrating Christmas that never fully grasped or received that gift. 
that the gift of your son Jesus, you in the flesh, would be received by them by faith to pay for their sins, to make them right with you. I pray that that spirit would then permeate through us like we saw in your word, that because we get it from you, it would channel through us to each other. As we celebrate what you did to express your love, make this a season where we see how the two connect, that the birth of Jesus and the communion of those who remember the death of Jesus are all part of the same plan. And thank you for loving us. Amen.